Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. And I'm Adam Vingan on Twitter at Adam Vingan. And people should pay for what? Good journalism. Where? At The Athletic? Question mark. <laughs> I don't think there's any question marks about it, Adam. There, unlike the future no of the National Unlike the future of the National Predators hockey team, I don't think there are any questions about where what happens at The Athletic. Where I'm it like is. Ron Berg, I'm like Ron Burgundy. I read everything that's on the teleprompter. <laughs> I wish we had a teleprompter. That might be fun. Uh, all right. So big show plan today, of course. We're going to dive into some Philip Forsberg talk. I know we touched on it a little bit, but we're going to dive a little bit deeper into that. And I think we're going to look at this more from a contract angle. And should the Predators, can the Predators, will the Predators be able to bring him back? Because I think that's a big part of their decision-making process here at the deadline. Uh, of course, we'll, we'll dive. I know you had a conversation with Matthias Ekholm about being a player on the trading block. Very professional, of course, with Matthias Ekholm. So we'll get into that. Um, there's some NHL news as the, as it pertains to the TV rights deal. So we'll get into that a little bit later on as well. What, you know, the big line here, Adam, about this team has been, let the kids play, let the kids play. Well, I want to know what you've seen from the kids so far and which kids in your opinion, have sort of earned their way into the quote-unquote rebuild. So a lot of stuff going on. And of course, then we'll get to Roman Yossi's injury and some of the news that's 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 been happening around this team in the last week. Uh, since we were last on the air, they were one in three. They've lost four out of five. So we'll get to all that in a second. Of course, the gold standard is brought to you by our wonderful folks at Jaspers. Jaspers! There you go. I like that. Of course, a wonderful elevated place to watch the game over on West End. Fantastic food, free parking, great place to be socially distanced still for a little while longer. We're almost done with this nonsense. Excellent food, great place to watch the game. But they've also debuted their weekly rundown, and we've got college basketball tournaments this week in the SEC with the SEC tournament here in Bridgestone, why the Predators are on the road. And of course, we also have the NCAA tournament coming up over the next month, which I know you are a huge fan of. So great place to sit down and watch a game and hang out at Jasper's. Great place to watch basketball morning until night. You know what I mean? Why would I watch a college basketball tournament that doesn't involve Duke? Wow. Kentucky, I'm saying Kentucky fans at Adam Vingan on Twitter. It's a great place to watch basketball. Jasper's absolutely. But, you know, it's been a very long time uh, since the Blue Devils were not a shoe in for the NCAA tournament. And as we record this they're going to have to run the table in the ACC tournament probably in order to uh, earn that automatic bid, which we've seen it happen before. You know, the most uh, the example that comes to mind would be Kemba Walker when yeah, UConn like a, ran the table in the Big East tournament, the yeah. national championship that they year. Were, they were like a seven seed though in the NCAA tournament. Like they were. You're right. They made a great run in the in the the Big East at the time. I, I will say this: you you basketball elitist, you. Here's the good news. For those of you going to Jasper's, they have remote controls. And so they can switch to this weekend. They can switch to the ACC tournament and you can watch Duke games on the in the ACC tournament while at Jasper's and then keep an eye on the SEC tournament on the other TV and the Preds maybe on the other TV. Also, next weekend or during the NCAA tournament, you, they have a remote control that they could switch to the NIT to watch your Duke Blue Devils. So it's not it can it can be it can be done, Adam, you know, the NIT. The not invited tournament. <laughs> not the invited not invited tournament. tournament. 
Anyway, go to Jaspers. Of course, they've got a great weekly rundown now that they just debuted. Let me read it for you. Uh, of course, they've got uh, Wednesday nights, Bubbles and Rosé, $5 glasses of Bubbles and Rosé. You got Thursdays, the burgers and beer. You get a, a draft beer and a, and a burger and a dog for $10. Sunday, two-for-ones. There's always something happy going on <laughs> at Jasper's, so go check them out uh, over on West End. Free parking, great place to, to watch the game, grab a beer, and drink the gold standard cocktail named after this year podcast. So, all right, let, let's start with sort of some of the news and notes. We'll get to the Dante Fabro hearing in just a second. That news came down on Wednesday morning. But the, the first, <laughs> I saw this news, Adam, and I just sort of chuckled, and I just, it just sort of is getting comical at this point. I, I just started laughing. Because I was like, of course, Roman Yossi is injured out week to week on IR with an upper body injury. Of course he is. Three of the highest four paid players on the team are now on the shelf, not including the goal, the starting goaltender and, and Luke Cunning. That's like $23, 24000000 million a year between Duchesne, Ellis, and Yossi on the shelf right now. I can pull up the exact figure. I don't think Roman is, on, is officially on injured reserve, though um, you, know, you can probably include him there. In spirit, so currently there uh, there is eighteen point eight five million dollars on injured reserve in terms of cap space. Matthew Shane, Ryan Ellis, Luke Cunning, UC Soros, and Lucas Spiza. Remember Lucas Spiza? I think who, he played in one game and was put on injured reserve. Um, but if you want to throw Roman Yossi on there, that's close to twenty eight million, God. just above twenty eight million in, in salary cap space on injured reserve. Um, and, and what we'll talk, we'll talk about this in more in depth in a little bit, as you alluded to at the beginning, but the, uh, the predators PR Twitter account posted an interesting nugget, um, last night that there were six rookies who dressed for the predators last night, the, their most in a game in almost exactly six years, excuse me, five years since March 12th, 2016, and because I'm on the topic, I have I have found the six rookies who played in that game in March of 2016. <laughs> against course, it, it was against who I, I it was against it was against Vancouver, I believe. Colton Sissons, Austin Watson, Petter Granberg, Anthony Boteto, Mika Salamaki, and Victor Arvidsson. Those were the <laughs> six rookies who played in that game for the Predators five years ago. Uh, so I found that to be, I found that to be interesting. Um, but, but, and we'll, we'll get to some of those rookies for sure in a little bit later on, but it, like, it just adds to the, to the question for me, what, what else does David Poyle need to see at this point? Like, I, I mean, honestly, like they played a tough game on Tuesday night against Carolina on the road, overmatched opponent, you know, totally depleted roster, had a two, nothing lead, ended up losing, got a point out of the deal, but like, just, I, I don't. I just don't know what else they need to see, Adam. Like, I know this is beating yeah. the dead. This, by the way, we had a listener tweet us the definition of beating the dead horse. It was very um, disturbing. <laughs> well, it, it, it should have been obvious to us, though, when we were talking about it. Like, of course, it's about trying to make the horse run faster. But if you hit it too much, he dies, I guess. I, anyway, I, I just don't know what else David Poyle needs to see at this point. You're losing all your best players. You're not making the playoffs. I, I don't know. Yeah, and I will give the Predators credit. They they hung tough with a very good Carolina team um, that's challenging the Tampa Bay Lightning at the top of the division. Now they shot themselves in the foot, another disturbing cliche we like, we like to use, um, by taking some bad penalties, including Dante Fabro, who, as we mentioned before, is going to be suspended for that. 
Um, most likely. Very rarely do players have hearings for hits and not get suspended. Um, so it's going to be Matias Ekholm and the Ekholm Ets for a couple of games, I think, uh, in the defensive <laughs> core. Um, <laughs> but to your point, yes. Uh, I mean, we talked about it last week. I think my feelings on this are, are well-documented. My feelings have not changed over the past week. Um, the Predators absolutely need to sell. Um, the fact that they are missing their top defensive pair, their second line center, a, a quality depth winger, one of their two goaltenders, the list goes <laughs> on and on and on. Um, so I, I think the sooner they get this on the road, uh, the rebuild that is the better. Well, and the more value you, you probably can get back for some pieces that, especially the one-year guys, like if you're going to get rid of Grandland, right? you're going to get the, I mean, you're talking about a pretty small amount of games here. April 12th, if you get rid of him now, you're adding a whole month essentially to his salary um, to a team that wants to acquire somebody like that. So I, I, I just, I'm sort of like, all right, wh- what are we waiting for here? Um, and, and again, I don't, I don't think there's a whole lot to discuss about the games themselves. I mean, it, Florida was, I, I don't know what's going on with the Panthers, but they were dominant. Like they, <laughs> like they put the pa- Nashville played really well against Carolina. I'll give them credit for that. Like you said, but Florida is just, they, like they completely have the predators number at this point. Like it's not even up for discussion and they got to play Tampa and Florida again. So hooray. I get, I get really bad secondhand embarrassment. Um, there was this show that used to be on MTV called made. I'm not sure if you remember that show, um, but basically what it was, and I'm getting to the larger point as usual. I just take the long road to get it's there. Okay. Um, so there was this show on MTV called made where, you know, a, a teenager who really wanted to do something really wanted to try something. We get paired with a professional in that particular realm and they would work together uh, to, to realize that dream. So, you know, there were times where one of the, the subjects of the show wanted to be a a skateboarder. So they would pair him with a professional skateboarder and they would train so that the kid could participate in a a skateboarding contest, you know, in his hometown, you know, that's what, that's something he really wanted to do. And over the span of, I don't know how long the show, I don't know how long the training happened because the show was condensed into an hour, but eventually the, the kid would get on the skateboard and go through down the half pipe and everyone would be very happy. But the most common uh, theme was ladies, man. So these nerdy high school guys, usually guys, almost always guys, actually it was always guys. These nerdy, these nerdy high school guys would be paired with, you know, the, the pickup artist types so that they could ask their crush to the homecoming dance. And it was so cringeworthy. Like my skin would literally, my skin would feel like it was literally crawling. I know that that's not the right use of literally, but it would feel that way. Like I could not actually watch the show unless my hands were over my eyes. And that's how I felt watching the Predators lose to the Panthers last week. Like when it was, when it was getting, when the school, when it was getting to be three, two, four, two, five, two, it was hard to watch. Like I, it was hard for me to focus my attention on the game. It was incredibly difficult to watch. And it even drove Roman Yossi to almost curse. You I, know? I think, I think it counts. 
I'm not gonna lie. I think big F U counts like fuh. I mean, he he was like fuh. There was a little bit of a C in there. I think I didn't hear a C. I just heard the fuh. Once you get to this, I think it was like a third of a C. And once you get to like a third of a C, I think you've said the word. We need to get a linguist on the show to talk about this. But I heard fuh, and he was sorry, and then continued. (laughs) But that's that's the that's the that's the that Roman Yossi has gotten in a very long time, and then. You know, he takes a really bad hit um, against Dallas, you know, gets the bloody jersey, scores the shootout goal, mean mugging the whole time. Like the the camera work after he scored that goal to win that game, there was no elation on his face. He was stone cold. And I appreciated that. And I think this weekend went a long way to... Um, discrediting the anti-Roman Yossi as captain crowd. Like, I feel like that was a very captainly weekend, if that's even an adverb. It was a very captainly weekend for Roman Yossi. You know, getting angry in the postgame, taking that hit, you know, the equivalent of the, the Kurt Schilling bloody sock, even though it wasn't, you know, orchestrated like many people rumored it was for Kurt Schilling. Um, ketchup in the bloody sock. <laughs> um, but, uh, I thought it was a very captain like weekend for Roman Yossi. And unfortunately he's going to be out, you know, the concern, of course, the predators have termed it as an upper body injury. I'm doing air quotes. Um, Roman Yossi does have a history of concussions. Um, I am not going to, to openly speculate about what this particular injury is. I think you can infer what you would like. What does what does what closedly speculating mean? Like just you and me privately, not on the podcast. Like what yeah, would you, I guess. What, what, what's the opposite of openly speculating? I don't know, but that's just the term that we like to use. No, I know. That's why. That's why I brought it up. It's like I'm curious. This like, is are why we, we need a linguist on this show. Are we privately uh, privately speculating? Like uh, I mean, we can BS with each other about it. I guess right. that's privately speculating. Okay, right. um, but just curious. Roman, Roman does have a history of concussion, so your concern, of course, is that you know whatever happened on that particular play is not too serious. Well, I, again, I just, I, it's all really good stuff. And the, the, they played, you could argue they played well in the last two games and that's true. And well, I mean, blowing a three, nothing lead with eight minutes left and needing that, a shoot that, win a game. Like I tweeted after that the game, Pecorine that, save, the Pecorine save was spectacular. You got to admit. Was, like, was. And, and even he knew it. He, he laughed too. And, and the funny thing is, is that, uh, Joe Pavelski and Pecorine a long time ago, uh, I think played on the same team during the full season lockout, or maybe it was during the the half season lockout. One of the lockouts, they were they were teammates abroad in Europe for for a few months, so they do have a relationship. Um, but have, seeing Pekka openly, there's that word again. Not openly because it was clear. Like the camera work showed him <laughs> laughing at it, laughing to himself, and I think we all felt that way. And I, I like the reaction from the Stars bench. They they clearly thought it was a goal. They seemed to be incredulous that it didn't go in. Um, but that would have been rock bottom. If you would have blown a 3 nothing third period lead and lost in any form to a division, well, they're all division games this year, but especially to the Stars. Like, that's the team that you, they're, they're also struggling. You know, they, they've, yep. you know, they started off the season hot. You know, they, they've been their record's been really bad since then. You know, I think, you know, over the past month, they may have had one of the worst records in the league, if not the worst record in the league. 
Um, you don't want to lose that game. That would have been rock bottom. So they they saved themselves. You're um, right. I, I should not have said played well. I just mean they did for 50 minutes. They got three out of four points, and you know I thought again I thought they played better against Carolina than they did against Dallas, and because again relative. I agree. To, well, relative, I, I agree. Relative, relative to expectations. Yeah, and competition for sure. So, all right. Again, I, I, I land the plane every time with you're missing all these guys. You're not making the playoffs. What are you waiting for? So we'll get to Matias Coleman, what he's dealing with in your conversation with him in a second. But let's talk Philip Forsberg for a minute because I, I do think that the thing that I think is missing from the Forsberg conversation, which is why you listen to this show, because we make sure we get all the things into the conversation. Definitely you do, Adam. But I... <laughs> What do you say? Do I talk too much? I don't. I have no. I'm going to go watch a few episodes of Made now. I don't know. That's. I I think I know what what show you're talking about. Actually, it's it's really. I mean, oh, just thinking about it just make it just hurts my teeth. We we both talk a lot, so that's why we get it into the conversation here. Yes. The question, like, I think it's okay to have a conversation about Philip Forsberg. Is he a building block piece? Is he untouchable? But the, the the simple cliche questions we've already covered that. We, we believe that Philip Forsberg is one of the few pieces you have to build around that he that he's probably the most talented forward that this franchise has ever had. He's on a point per game pace right now. So he's playing his best as he's more he, than a point per game play, pace. Right. And so 27 he, for 26, I think he has been dominant and, and has been the, the player we've all wanted him to be for so long. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's all happening for him at the worst possible time. But maybe it's the best possible time because it means his trade value is now probably higher than it's ever been. Number one, that's a part to consider. And number two, it also means he's going to ask for a boatload of cash and they can renegotiate. We talked about this last week. They can renegotiate his deal starting when at the end of this season, right in the summertime. So they can, they can be talking right now, right now. Um, but nor under normal circumstances, a, a team can resign its own player one year out, starting, I believe, on the first day of free agency. So if this was a normal season, on July 1st, the Predators could sign um, They could sign Philip Forsberg to a contract. Remember, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, it took Roman Yossi until, what, October? Late October, early yeah. November to sign. But he was eligible to sign starting that July. So that's why when he arrived at training camp, and he didn't have a new deal. People were like, what the hell? Um, but I remember him having to answer that same question like 46 times. And he was just like, I don't oh. know what you guys want me to tell you. That was more Pecorino. <laughs> it was more Arnold Schwarzenegger than Roman. That was, was yeah, time. that was very Arnold Schwarzenegger. I apologize to all Finnish people everywhere. Are you um, are you trying to lump in all Switzerland. Europeans? Yeah, I, I just I just accidentally made Roman Yossi a Finnish player, by the way, too. So um, all right. So I know it's very rude of me. So. I, and now I got to go to Sweden for this one. So where the number? Why would Philip Forsberg not be asking for a monster contract? Number one, and isn't there a number where the Predators have to say we just can't do this as part of the rebuild? We cannot lock ourselves. We just have we learned nothing <laughs> from the Ryan Johansson, Matt Duchesne. Like Yossi's one thing, Ellis is another thing, and we could have debates about all these contracts, but. By and large, Duchesne and Turris and Johansson and, and you know all these deals have not worked. What what is the number for you that you say? I, I think it doesn't feel like this is going to be good for the club long term. Maybe we do actually need to trade Philip Forsberg because we cannot afford a, a, a seven year 
$9 million AAV for Philip Forsberg? Well, that's a good question. And I wrote about this last week and I included some uh, recent comparable contracts. Um, I will call it informed speculation. And there's another type of inspect. There's another type of speculation, informed <laughs> speculation. And there were four forwards who have recently signed contracts that I think could be used as, as comparisons for Philip Forsberg, Jeff Skinner, Mark Stone, Nikita Kucherov, and Tyler Sagan, all of whom make at least 9 million Skinner's right at 9 million Kucherov and Stone are at nine and a half and Sagan is at 9.85. Now three of them, Skinner, Kucherov, and Stone are wingers. Sagan is a center, though he does have experience at wing, but I think he's mostly been a center for the stars. For the for you know, it was amazing to me to remember that it's been like eight years since they traded him, uh, since the Bruins traded Sagan to the stars. I can't believe it's been that long he's been on that team. Um, but so when I was looking at their when I was looking at their their production and age at the time they signed their contracts. I mean, Philip Forsberg, you know, is, is in that range. I mean, I think of those four players, the closest, uh, uh, the closest comparison would be Jeff Skinner. Um, Philip Forsberg has been a more productive player in terms of points per game over the course of his career than um, Skinner has been or had been at the time he signed the deal. So Jeff Skinner was 27 when he signed his nine, his eight year, $72 million contract, which was a $9 million cap hit, which we talked about last week on the show as being a huge mistake. Yes. But at the time he was just coming off a 40 goal season, riding shotgun with Jack Eichel. So he had a great contract year. He, at the time he signed the deal, he had 442 points and 661 games which was which is a 0.67 points per game average. I wrote this story last Friday. So at the time, Philip was at a 0.78 points per game average for his career. It might be you know 0.79 or 0.8 at this point. But the point is is that I I believe it is reasonable for Philip Forsberg to ask for the Jeff Skinner contract. I, I think the Mark Stone Nikita Kucherov contracts are out of reach. One. When Kucherov signed, he had just come off a 100-point season. Right. And the following year, he won the Hart Trophy. You know, Mark Stone, Mark St- he was 25, Kucherov, when he signed the contract. Stone was 26. And, and although Stone, at the time of his deal, 313 points in 371 games, I mean, the guy is a perennial Selkie Trophy contender. You know, I would consider him the, the most elite two-way winger in the game. Um, so... Would have been nice to trade for him instead of Torres. Yeah, probably. Um, they 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 chose, they chose the wrong member of the Ottawa Senators. Anyway, yep. Yep. I really do believe that the Jeff Skinner contract is the threshold. Um, if I am Forsberg's representation, the first thing I'm saying is my client is not taking less than eight million dollars. Uh, that's what you're paying Matt Duchesne. That's what you're paying Ryan Johansson. And Philip Forsberg is more valuable to your team than both of those players. So the baseline is eight and it's, and to me, it's gotta be more than eight. So I think you're looking at maybe like, let's starting at like, let's start at like 8.25. 
and I, I mean, I think that the pre- I think my 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 guess is that they would have to settle somewhere between eight and a half and nine million dollars per season on Philip Forsberg. And now, that's that's getting to your point. Well, and that's the question: Is that something they can do now? If if Johansson is in Seattle, then I think you can maybe get around to doing that. I think you can maybe argue that that number is fair, and you need a building block forward who's really really talented to actually lead the rebuild because you've got the defense core and you've got some goaltending pieces in the pipeline. You need some forwards to lead the, the entire process moving forward. So I, I don't know what, what, what do you do if you're the front office and, and you are having conversations with Philip Forsberg's representation right now, and you know that it's going to be eight, seven, five or nine. Is that a number you're comfortable bringing him back at knowing you probably still have Duchesne on the roster you know, if Ekholm's gone, maybe you get, maybe Arvidsson is traded. I, I don't know where you. I don't know if you're, you're going to have to make room. You're going to have to make room, right? And if you're, and that's going to be hard. Now, if it's one for one, basically, and, and all your, if you get rid of Johansson and you're going, Forsberg's already making six. So let's say if he goes from six to to nine, and then Johansson's gone, well, that's still plus five in on in cap space. And if you're getting rid of Ekholm, there's another four million off, roughly a little under four million off the books. Like you can. You trade, you know, like, I, I don't know, what, what, where's the number for you on bringing Forsberg back where, where you feel comfortable with him being a part of the rebuild versus this is too expensive, we need to trade him, and, and he becomes an even bigger part of the rebuild because now we've gotten a bunch of first-round picks and, and a prospect in return or whatever. Well, I think the first thing we should say is that David Poyle attempted to throw cold water on the Forsberg talk um, during his weekly interview with 102.5. I don't have the, the quote in front of me, but said that Phil, based to paraphrase it, Philip Forsberg is not a guy that I think we have any interest in trading at this time. What I find about the funny about the term at this time is that David said the same thing in an interview, I believe, with 104.5, like a week before he fired Peter Laviolette. He talked about, I don't anticipate making a coaching change at this time. And then a week later, Peter was fired. Yeah. So take take David's words at you know, take them at face value. Is that the right term? Take yeah, them fa- at face, value. face value. Yeah. No, I listen. He he's in a must lie situation about everything right now. Yes, I mean it does not hurt to listen to offers for Philip Forsberg, and I think it's a conversation worth having. Ultimately, I don't think he gets traded, but to me, I think anything more than nine million dollars is my cutoff. I think if you can get Philip Forsberg under contract somewhere between eight and a half and nine million dollars, I think you find a way to make it work. If he, if it, if it's like, no, we want nine and a half, 9.25, then I think you have to walk to me. $9 million is the cutoff point for Philip Forsberg in terms of this is a cap. This is a, this is a cap hit that will handcuff the predators for a long time. Um, in term, and, and we've seen the issues with just Johansson. We've seen it with Duchesne. Uh, the predators are going to be paying Kyle Turris for like the next eight years you know, at a discounted rate, but they're basically going to be, they're basically going to be paying Kyle Turris for, you know, eight to 10 years <laughs> not to play for them. So they're, you know, buyer beware, I guess you could say. And then Philip Forsberg is a great player. We know that, but we talked about Jeff Skinner. Jeff Skinner had a great contract year. He's been scratched multiple times this season by the Buffalo Sabres. Like not to say that Philip Forsberg is going to, that's going to happen to Philip Forsberg. I don't anticipate that happening, happening, to Philip Forsberg, I'm talking too fast and slurring my speech, but the uh, <laughs> I'm having Canada dry zero sugar this morning. 
So no alcohol <laughs> in there. Um, but it's obviously gotten me worked up. I think it, well, it's caffeine free. So I don't really have an excuse. Um, <laughs> the, the point is, is that you have to be careful. Even if Philip Forsberg is a great player, which we know that he is, you know, the Predators have been, uh, have been bitten by these uh, long-term expensive contracts. So they need to tread very carefully. So piggybacking off of our conversation from last week, which again, if you want to sort of dive deeper into sort of the history of rebuilds across the NHL, we, we talked at, at, at length about a few of them. Carolina's you know, been bad and now good. Colorado, we looked at what Washington did when they acquired Ovechkin. And what Washington did was they traded Philip Forsberg. Now, now <laughs> literally they traded him to us. But what I mean is, they they took their best piece and got rid of him before the 04 draft to get Ovechkin. So if you're going into this, like blow it all up and try to acquire as much as possible, Forsberg at 9 million is not a part of acquiring more assets. You can get so much for him. You, we're going to talk Matias Ekholm here because you wrote about him and, you know, very, very professional approach to the situation he's in. He knows he's an asset. He knows he's a good player. He knows, and you wrote, I think, a first-round pick and a prospect for Matias Ekholm, which is a really nice return for a, for a player that you may not be able to re-sign in a year and a half. So I, I think it's a no-brainer for David Poyle. I'd be moving him as soon as possible to the highest bidder, and he might be the best piece available across the entire NHL. I assume Philip Forsberg brings you more than that. Yes. I mean, to me, the closest, com- the closest comparable trade is the 2019 trade deadline move for Mark Stone between Senators and the Knights. And the return for Mark Stone was a second round pick. Um, Defensive prospect, Eric Brandstrom, I may be mispronouncing his name, but he's a highly touted defensive prospect. Our, our, our prospects guru, Scott Wheeler did a, a, did a, a, a series, excuse me, of, of the, the highest, you know, he ranked the prospect systems throughout the league and the senators have one of the best and Brandstrom was third on his list. So a very highly regarded defensive prospect. And then there was a throw in player. I can't remember who it was. Oscar Lindbergh, maybe, you know, just someone I think to make the money work. Um, here's the difference between the stone trade and the, and the potential Forsberg trade. So stone was a rental at the time of the trade. He ended up signing that nine and a half million dollar contract like two weeks later. And I believe there was a a framework of a contract in place when that trade was made. So they weren't really getting a rental. They knew that they would have him for longer than that, but they only had him at his lower cap hit, which I think was like seven and a half, seven, three, you know, some, somewhere around there for that part, you know, for, you know, that part of the season. And then they started, had to start paying him nine and a half million. Right. With Forsberg, you not only get him at 6 million this year, you get him at 6 million next year before having to pay him, which I think raises the value and, and therefore um, requires a a larger, um, a larger uh, package. So I think you, I think you start with the stone package and work your way up because of that reason with the cap situation. The gold standard is brought to you by Jaspers. Jaspers. So we already, everybody already knows it's a great place to watch the game. It's a great place to go watch college basketball because again, this is like a morning, noon and night thing coming up this week and next with of course the SEC tournament and the NCAA tournament coming up. So 
I know you're a huge college basketball fan. We already know all that great stuff. Great, you know, great cocktails, the gold standard, all that good stuff. Are you, did you traditionally go watch college basketball? Like, did you ever like post up in college or maybe as an adult at, at a place with your buddies and just watch starting at like 1130 AM or 1230 AM Eastern time and just watch until midnight. Have you ever done that? Yes. I used, so I, I went to American university, which is a division one school, by the way, Patriot league represent uh, my first two years in college, my freshman and sophomore years, which would have been 2007 and 2008 uh, American qualified for the NCAA tournament for the first two times in, in school history. Both times, 15 seeds. First time, I believe, lost to Tennessee, actually, as a 15 seed. Um, the following so my, year. So my alma mater beat your alma mater. Yes. The following year, Sucks. they actually were leading. <laughs> I believe they were leading Villanova as a 15 seed at halftime in Philadelphia. Um, but ultimately, which I, I still don't understand how Villanova got games in Philadelphia. But uh, they <laughs> ended up losing that game. Um, but, you know, as a huge college basketball fan, you know, I, you know, oftentimes during college basketball season, you know, I, I would venture to say that the Thursday and Friday of the college of the of the NCAA tournament, where your first game tips off at noon and you've got games for 12 consecutive hours. Those are two of my favorite sports yeah. days of the year. And I would, I, you know, a lot of times because it would be March and it would be Thursday or Friday, I would be in class in college and I would bring my computer and I would stream the games instead of paying attention in class. I did graduate. So it didn't, <laughs> it, did, it did not uh, prevent me from getting a job or getting a degree. Um, but that's what I would do. Uh, so that is my way of saying, yes. Um, you know, of course I, I always preferred when Duke played early just because I like to get the game out of the way. And then you can um, kind of, and then you can kind of like, overindulge and just enjoy the drama of the other games exactly um and if you wanted to overindulge at jasper's of course you could drink the gold standard by you, while overindulging yes uh, you can but i also have a few other tips and pointers here because because uh, okay. jasper's jasper's unveiled the weekly rundown which is again they've got happy hour every day monday through friday 4 to 6 p.m so that 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 thursday friday for for the sec and for the ncaa tournament that 4 to 6 p.m window is that that's and during all Preds games, by the way. So they, they've got their happy hour um, it, it, that's basically across the board. So that, that would cover, you know, your Monday game against Tampa next week, for example. And this week against during the SEC tournament. But Monday night, you have flight night. So you build your own wine or beer flight for 10 bucks. Great deal. Tuesdays, which I guess would be the play-in games, right? 6 yes. p.m. 6 p.m. to close. This is 6 p.m. to close. Any flatbread and any thing on tap for ten dollars they have two or three amazing flatbreads one's a shrimp and broccoli one of them's like uh like a ham and and cheese it's just delicious you throw a, a beer in there as well for 10 bucks that's kind of like you're getting like five dollars off a of flatbread and a free beer so like the happy hours are really good wednesday night you get bubbles and rosé as we mentioned five dollar glass of champagne or rosé thursday that's night, night that's a good date night Right no, there. What? No if question. If your lady loves, uh, if your lady loves rosé. So you show up and you say, "Oh, I, I didn't realize that there were five dollar bubbles in rosé." And then all of a sudden, you've sort of like made your date cheap. I don't know if that's what we're going for here, but like you've sort of, you know, you've given yourself a, a cheap date there. You know what I mean? By accidentally taking her to Jasper's on Wednesdays after six p.m. so that she can get five dollar bubbles in rosé. Yes, very important. Is that the right strategy, Cotton? I don't know. Uh, Thursday night burgers and beer 
you get the Jasper's burger or dog and a draft beer for $10. Again, great deal there because the burger is more than $10 anyway. On Sundays, you got two for ones, uh, buy one, get one beers all day long. So that, that covers all of your basketball and your Preds hockey games for the next two weeks. Go to Jasper's, everybody, right? Go to Jasper's. Absolutely. Any cheeky stories about weirdness from you this week? I mean, I think at this point, Jasper's expects me to toe the line of decency during all of our ad reads. Um, Not that I can think of. Okay. All right. Well, that's that's okay. That's okay. All right. Well, go to Jasper's, free parking, great food, elevated sports bar, elevated menu. Just a fantastic place to watch Preds hockey and NCAA basketball coming up over the next couple of weeks. So go to Jasper's. Jasper's. Uh, your your reaction and thoughts talking to Matthias Ekholm. Uh, everybody read the article; it's on the Athletic. Uh, you know, I've I've talked to him a number of times. He's like like Pekka Rene to some degree in that he's very thoughtful, uh, very intellectual, and just sort of self aware and and you know mature. Just all these like sort of really adult grown up adjectives. Um, <laughs> and 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 so I don't you know I think it's an interesting story, but I wasn't really surprised to read anything that you wrote about Matthias Ekholm, knowing that he's probably about to get shipped out of Nashville for the first time and have to go to another team. Yeah, um, I spoke to Matthias on Monday after the Predators had arrived in Raleigh. Um, you know, I, I love talking to Matthias Ekholm. Um, as you said, incredibly perspective. Um, perhaps more than any, any player in the dressing room has his finger on the pulse of the team. You know, he's my go-to guy when I need to know what's really happening in the dressing room in terms of the mood and all of those things. Um, but he, he is not oblivious as I wrote in the story. He knows that his name is out there and not just out there, but prominently mentioned. I mean, over at the athletic on our NHL trade deadline, big board, he's number one on the list. And he's also number one, I believe, on TSN in TSN's uh, trade bait board, which is uh, compiled by Frank Saravalli. Um, so Matthias Ekholm, by and large, is the most coveted trade deadline acquisition possible, um, according to people in the know. And, and, and Matthias understands that when the team isn't playing well, that this is what's going to happen. And, and, and my, favorite, my favorite thing about the interview was I asked him if, if it at all, if it, it ah, there I go with the slurring my speech again with the candy. You're having, you're, you're having a, a good day today. I'm having, it's, it's a little bit early. I haven't had my cold brew chocolate milk. <laughs> um, anyway, the funniest part of the interview was I asked Matthias if in some sort of roundabout way, all of this attention was flattering. Um, although he's not trying to pay attention to it, he does, he does know it's out there. And I asked him, it, it, it's clear that people think of you in, in such in, in a high, they hold you in high regard. Um, they think that you're a good player, that you can make a difference for their team. Like, so is any part of that flattering to you? And he, and he actually said it was. And he said, like, he said, to paraphrase, if I sucked on the ice, it would be harder for me to hear my name in trade rumors because it would mean that the team is just trying to get rid of me. But he knows that he's a good player. He knows he brings something to the team. He knows that he can bring value back to the team. So I, I thought that was really interesting. But he's got a young family. He's got a three-year-old son. He has a one-month-old daughter. Um, in the age of COVID-19, it's incredibly hard to move. They can't just pick up everything and go. Um, 
with all of the protocols in place that the league um, has, especially if, if Matias were to be traded to a Canadian team, um, that would make it even more difficult. So, you know, he, he told me that he would not be totally blindsided if this were to happen. I mean, I think he's prepared for that possibility, um, which shows you again, how perceptive he is. Yeah. And like, I do think there's, there's two sides of this. I think there's, and this is all goes for all professional athletes and to some degree, some college athletes, like they're, they're not, they're, there's a human element here. Like you, you just mentioned his kids, like there's a family at, at stake and, and where their father is going to be and how much they're going to be around their family. Like there's a human element to all of this that I think fans very, very quickly too often forget. Um, but there's also a human element of like, you know, if you're playing for Duke, for example, and you're a kid on the team, like you have a cell phone, you know, your team's on the bubble, according to Joe Lenardi on ESPN or whatever. And you, you're paying like you, these people, nobody lives in a bubble anymore. Like everyone is, we all know what's going on. So of course, all these players know that they're potentially going to, could be traded. Of, co- of course, Granlin and Richardson know that they could be traded. Like it, we can't expect them not to know this stuff and to, for it to not even maybe affect them potentially uh, to some degree. So I don't know. I, I think Matias is, is I would say more well-equipped to handle the situation, right? Like I've got a young family. I might be leaving my only NHL home ever. One where I went to a Stanley cup. Like there's a lot there there for him and he's uniquely qualified to sort of handle it all. So good read, go to the athletic, check it out. Number one for Preds fans, uh, first round pick and a prospect is potentially the asking price for Matias Ekholm. And I think that's my, that would be my asking price. I think it should be too. That is a, if he's the best trade ship in the NHL, I think that's where you start the rebuild with, was with a first round draft pick and a prospect. I think that's a hell of a return on, on Matias Ekholm. You got to make it happen. I absolutely agree. All right. So when we start to see the sell off and all these kids and all these players start to move, as we're seeing with the injuries, a lot of young players, six rookies played on Tuesday night. Um, of all the kids, who 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 qualifies? Obviously, the rookies qualify, but who who I don't you know? Luke Cunning to me qualifies, I guess, as sort of one of the kids eh. in in the rebuild. Yeah, but he's I, I don't consider. I mean, he's got three years of professional experience. Yeah, so, so I, I wouldn't include him. So okay. the rookies that played last night, off the top of my head. Uh, Jeremy Davies made his NHL debut. Of course, the prospect included in the PK Subban trade in 2019. Um, Alex Carrier, that's two. Um, Yakov Trenin, Matthew Olivier, Ellie Tolvanen, and Rem Pitlick. Those were the six rookies who played in last night's game. So, uh, I mean, number one is Ellie Tolvanen. Um, he has changed the, the dynamic of the power play. And uh, I haven't transcribed it yet, but if you're listening to this, I would, you know, not to toot my own horn or anything, but I did ask John Hines a question about Ellie Tolvanen and how he has changed the dynamic of the power play um, before Tuesday's game. And he great, he gave this incredibly detailed answer. I suggest you go listen to it. I'm sure I'm going to write about it at some point, but since I haven't done that yet, I would go listen to it. I think he's been great. I think he, he's found that role. I think they have found the perfect place for him. Um, I've been impressed with his play away from the puck too. So he would be number one. Has, has he earned basically like full playing time from here on out? Yes, it it feels like he has, in my opinion. Yeah, he has. Um, I thought Jeremy Davies had a really good showing um, in his first NHL game last night. Um, you know, Rem Pitlick at the time he was recalled, lead, led the, AA, led the AHL um, in goals. Jeremy Davies, uh, at the time of his recall was led AHL defenseman in assists. Um, 
you know, I, you know, I've, we've talked about Matthew Olivier. We talked about him last week, you know, fan favorite already, you know, knows his role, plays it well. Um, you know, he's not a, a game changing or franchise changing type player, but you need those um, fourth line type players um, on your team. Um, and they need to be cheap too um, in a cap world. Um, so I really like him. You know, Treden's sort of been on the outside looking in. Um, he's been scratched a lot. I don't know if I necessarily agree with it, um, but I, I like what I see, what I've seen from him too. So, you know, I, I think the the half the glass half full um, perspective of these injuries is that it's sort of forcing the Predators to play all of these young kids. And you know what? Uh, I, I line up with six rookies in it. Played well against the the Carolina Hurricanes last night. So. You know, I'll give them credit for that. So I, I guess there's a couple of different types of these players, and you already alluded to this. There's the Ellie Tolvanen, Philip Tomasino, like true potential star building block piece, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's the guys like Olivier and Pitlick and Trennan who, you know, are solid players, like you said, that every team needs to have. I guess my question is, of all these young guys that we're talking about, and you can include other people into this mix if you want to. Tomasino's not playing, but you can include him. I guess my question is, how, who has proven to be? Let's let's say the sell-off happens, and mm-hmm. all these all you know all these guys are gone. Cousins, Richardson, Granlin, Ekholm, Johansson's in the tra- in the expansion draft, and in, in whatever. <laughs> it, we're in the summertime, and we're coming back to camp next year. Who are the pieces that you think have, and again, it's very short sample size for some of these guys, especially guys like Davies. I have seen enough from Tolvin to know that he is a piece that's going to come back to camp next year as probably, let's say they do the rebuild, as probably a piece that's starting in the top six, done, finished, right? In, in good. I guess my question is, who has proven to you that they belong in the, the starting lineup post-rebuild? Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I think based on what I've seen or have heard, because I haven't watched any of the AHL games, but based on what I've heard, um, you know, I think Rem Pitlick deserves to be in that conversation. Um, I think Alex Carrier probably has earned his way into that conversation just based on the amount of experience he has in the organization. Um, I think Philip Tomasino, um, based on how he's played in the AHL, um, if he continues to play that way, I mean, I think he needs to be in that conversation too. Um, there are guys outside of the, of the, of the AHL and NHL right now, you know, Igor Afanasiev, you know, I don't know how he's doing in the KHL, um, but he could be a big part of this. Um, but for me, the, the, the stone cold locks um, would be Ellie Tolvanen um, and Rem Pitlick. Um, and I guess you could throw Philip Tomasino in there just because of, you know, what he represents. Um, but I do think Alex Carrier is on the verge um, I do think that uh, Yakov Trenin, let's throw Trenin into the. I, I was going to say, I think Trenin, Trenin into the lock into the lock conversation, and you might even throw Matthew Olivier in there too. If you're selling off and doing what we talked about last week that that Colorado did, which knows that you're going to suck for a couple of years, I think Trenin and Olivier are already in. Like I think they're they've earned themselves start. If you're going to be bad and you're trying to go for high draft picks, I think Trenin and Olivier are excellent players to have in there. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I I neglected to mention them, but I would throw them in that conversation too. So I, again, you want to go, like you said, glass half full is we're starting to see a lot of these pieces and a lot of these pieces, you know, again, none of not all of them are going to be stars. Very few of them will be stars, but you're starting to see what the rebuild could look like, right? Like there's this loose 
like amorphous thing that you can kind of see like, okay, now let's see what you can go acquire. Like go, go stockpile stuff that helps that process and accelerates that process. So uh, while, while also being patient, of course, (laughs) as part of the, as part of our message from uh, last year as well. Uh, Did we talk about, did you mention on the rundown that you wanted to talk about Jack Eichel? Is that a thing you wanted to talk about? Uh, we could mention Jack Eichel if you want, because that no, doesn't that doesn't that, strike that, me as a rebuild. I just wanted to bring it up to say no. I just okay. wanted to bring it up to say no. Um, so we are preemptively striking on Jack Eichel conversations that may take place around the city. That that is not something the Predators should be talking about. Exactly. It just okay. It, it, it makes no sense, and I understand the idea. The Sabers worse than the Predators, are rebuilding. And they've been rebuilding, as we discussed, for a decade. And it doesn't look like there there is any um, any end in sight because they're not making the playoffs this year either. Um, and, you know, there's been a lot of scuttlebutt. There's a good word. There's been a lot of scuttlebutt surrounding uh, Jack Eichel. Um, but the last thing the Predators need is a $10 million forward who is under contract for five more years. Now, Jack Eichel is an elite player, unlike the players that the Predators paid similar money to um, over the past couple of years. Um, but as we talked about last week, patience is important in a rebuild. And as Mike Huda, the LA Kings ex, the ex-LA Kings assistant GM said in that story, you know, cheating the process extends the process. And Jack Eichel, to me, is the epitome of cheating the process. Um, You know, we're talking about all of these young kids. You know, you can probably say goodbye to a good amount of them if you're making that trade. And and not just those players, but established players too. Like, would Dante Fabro be in that conversation? Would Philip Tomasino be in that conversation? I mean, to me, the Predators need to take this slow. And as we talked about last week, it might mean a few years without the playoffs. It might be more than a few years without the playoffs. But patience is required. And for all of the listeners who have been clamoring for this team to blow it up, there are consequences to that. You're going to be watching some hockey that might not be competitive. But your hope is that, as other teams have shown, like the Hurricanes have shown, like the Avalanche have shown, like the LA Kings have shown, not just when they won the Stanley Cup, but I think they're showing it right now too. They seem to be ahead of schedule in this current rebuild. You know, you hope that it only takes a few years, but, you know, I was, uh, you know, I was on air with Jared Stillman on Monday and I told him it might take three to five years for this team to be competitive again. And he scoffed at that idea. Um, I don't think it's far-fetched. And I don't think the Predators should um, attempt to uh, accelerate the process because we've seen examples of what happens when when that goes wrong. Well, and that that does kind of tie into the Forsberg thing because Forsberg selling Forsberg and acquiring that much back in return would accelerate the process in theory. Like to your point, it the, Skinner, the process in the sense that you you have all of these assets you can build from. I right. guess what I mean by accelerating the process is trying to trade for these high priced veterans, hoping that they oh, can, they can lead the process, you know, that they can push the team back to contention no. quicker. But no, often, that, that, that sets that's you, that's set, that sets you back years. Yes. Because right now is your chance. You have assets that are worth something. <laughs> this is your chance. This is the chance that David Poyle has to sort of end his career as the GM with this like flurry of activity to set up the franchise, to be successful when he steps away. Like that's, this is his chance to do that. 
And I, that's not, e I'm not suggesting that's an easy thing for a guy to do. Who's an extraordinary competitor. Like, I'm not suggesting that like you just roll out of bed and like, you know, give up on all of your life's work. Like I'm not, you know, it's not easy to do. Um, so it, like you said, it'll be tough to watch. Speaking of watching the Nashville predators, there was some news that came down on Tuesday that ESPN has signed a seven-year agreement with the NHL. And we, of course, this is a big part of where the salary cap could be moving forward. I don't, I have not seen any details on the dollar figure yet. NBC, I believe pays what 200 million for the rights to broadcast. Um, ESPN's got seven years from 2022 to 2028, and they will get four Stanley cups back on ESPN. And I do think one of the most critical pieces of marketing the NHL in this country has been absent because ESPN was not a part of their broadcast. Now this brings streaming back into it. Anyone who's got, you know, ESPN plus or Disney plus could maybe have access to games the way maybe they don't have access to games now on some of these streaming services. So I, I don't know. This is a good, to me, this is a good thing for the NHL for, for them to be partnered back with ESPN because when ESPN is vested in your product, they are going to give you more coverage. And that's a good thing. As long as they bring back the ESPN NHL theme, which to me is an elite uh, broadcasting theme. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> no. Well, is that your attempt at Okay, see your first your first riff sounded like Monday Night Football. Yeah, I was just doing the 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 crescendo. Okay. You went bum 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 bum. That's no, what no, you that's again. not what I did. That's not that's what it sounded like. I thought you were a music guy. I oh. am, but that's what it sounded like. All right, my maybe my bum bum buzz are a little off right now. Yeah, you need to tighten up those bum bum bums. <laughs> um any anyway. So you're you are correct that NBC currently pays two hundred million dollars annually for exclusive US media rights. That expires after this season. This according to Chris Johnston of Sportsnet, who broke the news um, of, of the ESPN NHL uh, agreement. Um, and you're right. Like the NHL is in a better place in America when ESPN covers it. Um, you know, my earliest memories of watching big NHL games was watching them on ESPN. You know, Gary Thorne and Bill Clement on the call on Stanley Cup final games. Maybe they can, um, maybe they can, uh, find a way to convince Gary Thorne, who's now in purgatory uh, um, broadcasting Orioles games for Masson. Um, last time I checked, at least uh, maybe they can uh, drag him back uh, and have him on the call. Uh, that, I, I think Gary Thorne is a, a fantastic NHL broadcaster or fantastic broadcaster in general. Yeah, um, I agree. But, I agree. But his, well, so, uh, some of my, some of my most prominent hockey memories was like every night I could turn on, e like late 90s, I could turn on ESPN, those great Devils teams, some of those like those Flyers teams with, with Lindros and all those young kids. And like, you know, I was a Rangers fan growing up. And so the Rangers were good in the mid 90s. The, the Red Wings were like those, like I have some like seven overtime Alexi Kovalev, you know, Penguins, you know, Flyers, like, you know, playoff hockey memories all built around ESPN. It's all built around ESPN. And when they stopped covering it, that, that's the issue. I, like, you can watch the games anywhere. Like, they're going to play the games. You'll, as long as you've got cable or TV or whatever streaming service, you're going to get to watch the playoff games in particular. The question is creating conversation around it, creating more coverage, creating more talk. It just disappeared from ESPN's mainstream conversations. And that's a, that's a, that, that hurts the, the product. It does. And we had our, our friend Greg Wyshynski 
on the uh, on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. He works for ESPN, um, and ESPN does have a presence at Stanley Cup Finals. Um, uh, Steve Levy and um, Barry Melrose, um, Linda Cohen is a big noted hockey fan um, at ESPN as well. Um, but you turn on Sports Center and you very rarely see hockey highlights. Um, so it, it would, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to. Know. Is it? I like Steve Levy a lot, especially in in hockey world. I don't like him on Monday Night Football, but I like him in hockey. My question is: Is do they need a new generation? Because I love Elko. I could see Elko spearheading like a new wave, a new generation of hockey analysts. Because like Melrose is great. He means a lot to me in my childhood. But he's sort of like Lee Corso and Dick Vitale. Like they just. They were great in 1999 and 2004 and 2008. And I love their passion for the game, but I think I just need something new. And I, is that, is that, is that wrong for me to say that? Yeah, I think it would be good to inject some fresh blood into uh, ESPN NHL broadcasts. I mean, I think Greg would do a great job in some form or fashion um, on a broadcast or a regular guest on sports center. Um, bringing his uh, irreverent humor uh, to the game as he always does. Um, Emily Kaplan as well, who covers the NHL for ESPN and is, is a regular on around the horn. Now, you know, she, she could also uh, do that too. Um, Linda Cohen would be great. I mean, I think I know, as you said, Steve Levy, um, your mileage may vary on him as a football commentator, um, you know, perhaps putting him back in hockey would be a great, uh, would be a great way to, uh, inject some excitement because people know him from that, but you know, you're always going to have your, you know, your Barry, Barry Melrose's, you know, yeah. and, you know, and they, I mean, they have to, they're, pay, they're paying him as far as I know. So they have to use him somehow. Well, uh, I think he's great in like the cross promotional sense, the way, like, Corso, Berman, Vital can all do this stuff. I just can't listen to Dick Vital call games anymore. Right. I well, it would be like, I, I, it would you be know, like, like having it would be like having Mike Milbury in the booth again. And Barry Melrose yeah. is not not you know we're not I'm not comparing Barry Melrose to um, to Mike Milbury because we know Mike Milbury is in a league of his own and it's not a very good one. Um, mm. But you know, I want I wonder if the NH if ESPN could poach some of the NHL on NBC get people. Um, if, if, if ESPN is going to have a larger role in this, um, I, I think if NBC has some involvement, even though, even, even if it's not exclusive, I'm sure they'll want to keep all of their stars. But like, I wonder if ESPN would look at someone like Brian Boucher, who's done such a great job as the lead commentator for NHL and NBC and, and give him a prominent role on the ESPN broadcast. Yeah. Um, I, I just, you know, it, I just think it's. If you come back into a sport after so long of an absence, it's a really good time to do it with some fresh faces, younger faces, diverse faces, yes. and really and really put a fresh spin on a new product that you're sort of bringing back to your platform. I don't know. It just seems like a perfect time to do all of that. All right. Um, either way, it's good news. And we'll find out the terms of what the actual agreement is. Because again, it's only half of the rights. The other half are going to be sold to somebody else. And But but ESPN, the four Stanley Cup finals over the next... Eight, eight or nine years or so are going to be on ESPN. So that's that's just an interesting new twist and wanted to wanted to get it out there. Uh, all right. The, the Predators will play at Carolina on Thursday. They will play Saturday at Tampa Bay and Monday at Tampa Bay. So yuck. <laughs> yuck when we get back here again. 
I don't know what else David Poyle needs to see. Make some moves. So that's the schedule coming up. Power rankings, Adam, your favorite portion of the podcast. Be. Your favorite portion. What what do you got, man? I'm I'm I feel pretty comfortable about mine this week. And Nashville's not awful. Okay, here we go. One, Tampa. Two, Carolina. Actually, no, scratch that. One, Carolina, who oh. won, which has won six consecutive games. Carolina one, Tampa two, Florida three, Chicago four, uh, Nashville five, Ooh. Columbus six, Dallas seven, Detroit eight. Tampa one, Carolina two, Florida three, Chicago four, Dallas five, because everyone here's the I guess if, if you're I guess this is the I don't know, good news. I don't know what what to call it if you're a Predators fan, but that is we are still just like three or four wins away from them clearly being like the fifth best team and maybe even the fourth best team in the division. Like we're not that far away because clearly the top three have separated themselves and everyone else has like major questions. Chicago is just sort of defying logic at this point because I believe somebody very close to the podcast said that they were going to be worse than Detroit uh, in the preseason. Um, I, have Dal- I have Dallas at five. <laughs> I, the name escapes me. Uh, Nashville at six, Columbus seven, Detroit eight. So mm. there you go. Um, any recommended reading as we do normally to end the show on the athletic any this week? Recommended reading. Hmm. Any, any recommended question. reading? That's a good question. Are we just talking about the NHL page or are we talking about? This is a time for you to shamelessly promote your company, The Athletic. Okay. Hmm. Well, you've been prepared. I put it in the email, Adam. I put it in the email. You did put it in the email. Um, and you so, created this segment on your own. And so I'm just leaning into your creation here. Yes. So our lightning, speaking of the lightning, our, our lightning reporter, Joe Smith, uh, has a, a long read on John Cooper. The headline, a 32-year-old public defender became a Stanley Cup champ. Do you know the lightning's John Cooper? John Cooper, a very interesting uh, individual. Of course, as we know, a Stanley Cup winning coach now. Um, Joe does a great job covering the lightning. So if you want to read about a good team that's actually won a Stanley cup and could win another one in the near future, um, I, I suggest, (laughs) I suggest, uh, reading that, um, also over at the athletic Ian Mendez, our, our, one of our national columnists who is based in Ottawa and Sean Gentilly, who works in Pittsburgh, uh, did a NHL trade deadline primer from all for all 31 teams. Uh, that's our front page story as of this morning. Uh, so if you want to get a sense of what others are saying about the Predators, as well as the rest of the league in general, I, I do think you should take a look at that. So those are two of my recommendations. Uh, there you have it. Obviously, go to The Athletic, pay for good journalism as well. Special thanks to our great sponsor, Jaspers. Jaspers! Sorry. It's okay. It's okay. It's a, it's a, it was a slow line change. It's fine. Uh, obviously, great place to watch the game. Lots of college basketball. They're going to have lots of specials. So check out the weekly rundown. It's on the website. It's linked in the show show notes as well so make sure you check that out uh all kinds of stuff every single day they're doing something different for happy hour 6 p.m on and uh i was on the patio this weekend uh, i you know beautiful i saw day. that i saw Be- that beautiful did you day. have a gold standard i i i had a gold standard and then i switched to to beer because i was craving a beer and i had a nice nice uh uh bearded i uh, bearded iris uh, home style you know hazy ipa just run wonderfully crisp and delicious on a nice spring afternoon the patio's open they got the lounge all of it's great so go check it out great menu great food had the sweet potato waffle fries which is Mm. absolutely ridiculous it's got like a barbecue sauce like an aioli and like pulled pork and red onion on top of waffle 
sweet potato waffle fries. It is incredible. So uh, it's it's fantastic. So go check them out. Our great sponsors at Jasper's. Great great place to eat and watch the game. And free parking, of course. So Adam Vingan, at, at Adam Vingan on Twitter. Go to The Athletic as well. My name is Braden Gall. Thank you all for listening. This has been The Gold Standard. Rate, review, and subscribe. Share the show. Tell one person about it. That's all we ask. This has been The Gold Standard on the 440 Sports Network.